No energy? Always fatigued? Has your got up and go got up and went? Primrose Leafs Pro Max 365 helps to produce natural energy, increase endurance and stamina, improve performance during exercise, reduce pain from fibromyalgia, and is excellent for cardiovascular support. A doctor-designed, deliciously berry-flavored formula that's great for ages 18 to 99. Order Pro Max 365 and get the natural energy you've always wanted. Call 844-376-0007. Refuel daily with Pro Max 365 and get your life back. Our guest today is Julian Bailey, a Canadian film and television actor with theater roots. He is well known for his portrayal of a sociopathic young naval officer in the hit show NCIS, which earned him a fan following from around the world. And he would go on to appear in many internationally syndicated and beloved programs, films, and video games, including Supernatural, Dark Phoenix, and Far Cry 5. He's also the lead voice in Rainbow Six Siege. Julian Bailey's vocal talents have anchored one of the world's most successful video game franchises in history. And he is also part of the animated projects The Jungle Book, as well as HBO's award-winning original Madeline specials narrated by Christopher Plummer. Well, today, Julian Bailey currently stars as the hard-to-understand artist Peter Morrow in Amazon Prime Video's smash hit television series Three Pines, along with Alfred Molina and a dynamic cast. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome one of the most talented actors in film and television today, Julian Bailey. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ward. I appreciate it. And uh, I, I've always wanted to say this to you since I first heard about you. Mr. Bond, may I press you for a cucumber sandwich? You uh, go Drax, Moonraker. <laughs> Roger Moore, that, 1979. That, oh, that's it. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you one thing. If, if I had, if, if, I think my dream interview would have to be Daniel Craig. At least one oh, of them. Yeah, so. Dude, totally. You know, because I am a James, I, I am a James Bond fan. I will tell you that I've got some things here in the studio that has 007 all over it. So uh, yeah. I know, I know those films very, very well. But I, I want to ask. I, no, go I hope ahead. I got that. I hope I got that quote right. Actually, may I? <laughs> is it my? May I press you for a cucumber sandwich? I think that's it. But Michael Lonsdale, he was, he was incredible. Bond no, I, I think you got it right. I think okay. you got it right. But I want to kind of step back in time here because I understand that uh, you started in theater. But what sparked your interest in acting? Well, I'll say this. I was born into a musical family. So my mother was from London and she was raised with music. She went to the Royal Academy of Music in London. And uh, she met my Canadian father while he was working over there in shipping on the Thames River, uh, working on, on a wharf. And, uh, and so they moved to Canada and had my sisters and then they had my brother well they had me and then my brother and we were all raised to learn the piano first of all so music and um, culture in general you know the arts and going to galleries was like a regular part of my upbringing but music was the thing um, I loved the piano and I loved music but I think the classical rigid approach just wasn't really like working for me and before I had a chance to figure out that you know there was other there were other approaches like the Suzuki method for example that were a little bit more intuitive and kind of, you know, for people who maybe learn more by ear, which I think I was one of those people. Uh, before I had a chance to kind of, you know, try that out, I, I met a kid at school who was on a Canadian television show and I was a little starstruck by him. And I remember thinking to myself like, man, I could do that. I could definitely do that. I could pretend to be these other people and, uh, and, and make money for it, uh, by doing that. And, um, 
And so I asked my parents if I could be enrolled in a children's theater group, and they obliged. Gradually phased out the piano, which I sort of regret now, but uh, but you know you, you can always learn as an adult, I suppose. But um, but yeah, so I I started doing theater. I was doing you know the classics, Shakespeare, Chekhov, Moliere, at, at about ten and eleven years old. Um, and and then uh, the directors of the of the theater school for kids uh, referred me over to a dubbing studio who was casting an anime series, Japanese anime series, uh, into English. And um, they needed kids to play these little Japanese snowmen characters. <laughs> so I got cast as one of those little snowmen. And then around that time, a casting crew came through different schools in the city, and they ended up discovering me, I guess. And uh, I was cast as one of two leads in a, in a, a film for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So I did that when I was 11. And then right after that, I did a, a play with the National Theatre School of Canada. So the the voiceover and the the television film and then the um, the uh, live theater just sort of converged at once. And that was sort of my my launching off point. Wow. So you were only 11 years old. I mean, I guess, you know, for for kid actors, I guess is what we could call them or child actors. Were, were you yourself outgoing as a child? <sighs> I would say I was kind of like an introvert who loved an audience. So I, I, I was, I think I was pretty introverted until I had an audience or until I was in a, a social situation, then I could kind of turn it on. But other than that, I think I was pretty comfortable with my own company and, and maybe more comfortable with my own company than, than with others. Um, I think there was something in me that felt like I, I had to perform or I at least had a, a desire to perform when I was in front of, of people. Uh, and that was my comfort zone was to be sort of, I guess, the center of attention in that respect. Um, but yeah, I remember feeling a certain degree of solitude as a kid and we, I changed schools when I was nine. So between the third and fourth grade, I changed schools and, uh, that, that was tough. We went, moved to a different part of the city. Um, so, so yeah, I guess, um, I guess I was, I was pretty outgoing, but, um, but I'll, I was an introvert extrovert. I guess that's the best way I know how to describe it. I think that's I think that's pretty cool because I've talked to so many others where they end up wanting it's almost like in their normal life they're almost acting because they're mm. so outgoing and then they have to keep that going in front of the camera or in theater right. uh, but to me to be an introvert and then turn it on when it's time to turn it on I think that's actually a blessing in a way uh, because some people, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know what, like, you know, with comedian Chris Farley and others like that, they mm -hmm. they always seem like they had to prove themselves even when they weren't in front of the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Farley was, was amazing. I was actually living in Chicago, uh, and we had the same hairdresser at the time he passed. I was living in Chicago, um, at that time. And I actually met his brother, Kevin. But yeah, not to rabbit trail there for a second. But no, um, no, no, not at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, Chris, but he, Chris was amazing. Yeah, he just seemed like a kind of like the perfect example of, of having or feeling like you have to be outgoing all the time. But seems like yours is more stable, which is great. But uh, oh, what was it like for you to leave Canada for the U.S. to pursue your dreams? Well, as far as any culture. Uh, adapting goes it wasn't that difficult because um i was raised in a very 
kind of British way. All my grandparents were British. My dad had my dad's mom remarried a, a, an English, a British guy, and moved to Ireland when my dad was about fifteen or sixteen years old. Uh, so he he spent some time. I mean, you know, his early childhood in Canada, but he he was Canadian, but very internationally versed. And uh, you know, he he would spend a lot of time in the U.S. And my mom. Uh, the, the year before she married, my dad was living and working in Newport, Rhode Island. And she, she was also very sort of familiar with the U S culture. So we would pretty much go down to the States about every summer when I was, uh, when I was a kid, um, I strained to remember, uh, missing a, a July 4th celebration. So by the time I was 18 years old and I moved to Southern California, I was pretty acclimated to American culture and I was a huge baseball fan too, and basketball, but baseball was really my sport. Uh, so I felt like that the culture shift was really nothing to adapt to for me but um but you know there were challenges of course i was going to school for two years and then after school uh i was invited to join this third year uh company at the school which you still had to pay tuition to be a part of but you had to be invited to come and it was an honor to have been invited but i just had something inside of me that told me to go to chicago and so i ended up staying in los angeles that summer and then um, got on a Greyhound bus and moved to Chicago, where, where I'd never been before, with about 30 or 40 bucks in my pocket and slept in the Greyhound station the first night. And then the next day, ventured out and uh, a guy saw me walking on the street and uh, he was smoking a Marlboro Red. And he, uh, I, I noticed him. He throws a cigarette down on the ground as soon as he spotted me, stomped it out, walked over to me, blew the smoke in my face and, and said, hey, kid. He goes, you need a job? And I was like, uh, yeah, actually I do. I just got here. And so next thing you know, I was working as a bike messenger in the loop. That's sort of the downtown Chicago area. And uh, yeah, and and then that night had a place to stay, albeit sleeping with cockroaches climbing on me and uh, people smoking blunts on the on the windowsill. But the another kid who worked for him invited me to stay with him and just give him a little bit of money for rent. But then we got evicted because he wasn't giving the money to the landlord. So then I was homeless in Chicago. <laughs> I could go on, man. I could go on and on. But well, uh, why, so yeah. why were you heading to Chicago? Um, well, I, I went to Chicago uh, for two reasons. I had an old mentor who uh, was actually a, a, a jazz musician and an acting teacher. And, and he was an American uh, guy from Kansas City. Uh, and his name was Fred Ward, and he, he was a legend. Um, and Fred Ward uh, had put a bug in my ear about Chicago a few years earlier when I was still probably 16 or 17 years old. And he'd said, if you want to do some great theater and really cut your teeth in this craft, Chicago is a place to think about going to. So when I finished at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts when I was uh, 20 at that point, uh, I just couldn't get that, that idea out of my head. So I wanted to go to Chicago to really just uh, go for it with with the theater and uh, and and just dive in. You know, I had my two monologues prepared. I would go through the the trades backstage was the trade at the time that I would go through and just try to find auditions and I would go do my two monologues. And eventually I started booking some some little plays and things here and there. And then and then eventually uh, got a commercial and then a movie back to back. So I got Taft Hartlead into the union. Um, that's a term for when you don't have your union card, but you do two jobs relatively close to one another. It's my understanding of it anyway. And uh, so I got into the union that way. Um, yeah. And that, the, I don't know, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> well, did performing on stage help you when you started working in front of the camera? 
Well, well, that's funny, actually. Um, when I was a kid, you know, my background, my early training was just the stage. My first play was uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and uh, it was a pretty big production. And I was playing Doc, so I was like the, sort of the lead dwarf um, in that in that play. Gosh, I don't even know if you're supposed to say dwarf any anymore nowadays. But um, that it's was the name Disney, of the play. It's a Disney thing. We're good. <laughs> that was the name of the play. Oh man, you gotta be careful these days. Um, but but yeah, so I was I was Doc, and um, and when I had my audition for this for this film that I told you about, I was scouted for when I was 11. I, uh, I didn't know really how to adapt then to film and that the acting style was different. You didn't really have to project and you didn't have to open yourself up to the camera and things like that. Um, like you would on stage, you know, you kind of open yourself up to the audience and, uh, and project your voice. So I remember the casting director telling me in one of the callbacks, like, Hey, uh, you, you don't have to speak so loud and you don't have to sort of cheat so much to the camera. I was like, cheat. What do you mean? Cheat? <laughs> She's like, you know, open your, I like, all oh, right, open yourself up. That's the way it was taught to me. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it probably did help me though. in so far as, um, you know, the, the challenge of learning a lot of lines at once, you know, when I started working in TV later in, in the U S I was amazed to see how these relatively big stars didn't know their lines like right before shooting a scene, you know, and that's kind of the way it was. They were getting their sides, you know, the night before and in some cases and always, you know, rewrites and revised sides sometimes right before shooting. And so I, I would be like, you know, paranoid of forgetting my lines. So I'd have all my lines memorized as, as early as possible. But yeah, I think it did probably help me. And I, th and I still love the theater. And if I had an opportunity to do more, I would, I would love to do more. You know, it's like, uh, I think it's uh, Alan Rickman. Uh, mm. I think he believed that being theater trained was was really a plus becoming an actor in film. And yeah. and I, I think probably some of the biggest, uh, best well-rounded actors are those that came from stage and theater. I think that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. Um, the only reason I wouldn't say that as a rule is that there are just so many amazing actors who've one never taken an acting class in their life and two who've never been on stage before and uh so there are exceptions but i do think as a general rule it's probably true that uh that to have a background in, in the theater is uh is is a pro is a plus for sure yeah so when did you land the role on uh ncis Oof, so that would have been, let's see, I mean, that was a while ago. I'm dating yeah. myself, but that would have been 2003. So in the first season of NCIS, I believe it was the fourth, the fourth, yeah, it was the fourth episode of the first season. And uh, yeah, that was interesting, actually, because I had auditioned before for some of his other shows. I think I, I had auditioned for JAG before. I did, ended up doing a JAG episode later. But, um, and Donald Belisario is the um the creator as as you know and he's just he's kind of like you know donald belisario dick wolf i mean these guys are like the major you know showrunners and creators um of television in the, in the u.s um i'm sure there, there are more too but those are two of the big ones um and uh yeah it was it would have been 2003 and it was the first season of ncis and uh it's a great experience man i i uh, i really enjoyed it and um mark Harmon was amazing i remember he knocked on my trailer door my first day and and he asked, he invited me into his trailer and said, can we sit down and talk about the scene? Like that scene we, we had to shoot that day. And I said, ah, absolutely. You know, and uh, so he he talked to me and he was just a real, 
a real leader, real leader on that set. An amazing example, amazing guy to work with. Wow, that you know, that's pretty cool to have a lead actor like that to come directly to you and say, "Hey, let's let's go over this scene." And uh, you know, and I've heard stories where actors that just show up, they don't know any of their lines. They're waiting for somebody to tell them the line when the mm -hmm. camera comes on. And to me, that's not acting. That's like cheating. <laughs> so uh, I like actors yeah. who actually prepare for the role, <laughs> not not to the yeah. point of being Daniel Day Lewis, but uh, you know. But hey, no, it, uh, no problem. It, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, but if, you know, but if it calls for it, then you know, pull out all the stops. But uh, yeah, yeah, that that's pretty cool. So did he seem? Did he seem to you like a like a mentor early on? Oh, for sure. Yeah, he was. I mean, albeit for a short period of time, because I probably worked on that show for about seven or eight days. Uh, we would shoot an episode of television, at least at that point in time. It's probably still the same way as far as, uh, you know, uh, network TV. But we would shoot uh, an episode in about between five and, well, I guess actually more like, yeah, between five and seven days, depending, but usually about a week. Uh, so, you know, Unfortunately, I wasn't able to sort of carry on the relationship with him. But for that period of time, Mark Harmon definitely made an impression on me. And uh, he was tremendous. I mean, we would be in a scene and, and, you know, they were trying to get, you know, that moment and that tension that was required for the scene. And he, he would really work with you in the middle of the scene and, and, you know, ask you the right questions to get you to, you know, get your light bulbs turned on. And uh, yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah, it it was really it was really cool. Well, did he made that, me think. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. did that role open up doors for you? I think it probably did, um, but you know, I think a lot of the you know the heat that was on me back then, or the sort of interest, as it were, that was on me around that time. Funnily enough, was mostly around comedy and comedy opportunities. Um, I was, I I I got my first real break in the US from doing stand up comedy at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, that got me a good agent. And after I got a good agent, um, I was able to, uh, I was able to, you know, be seen for, for shows like NCIS and other, other things. And uh, yeah, it, it was a uh, it was an exercise in faith and perseverance. I'll say that because I, I had been in Chicago and I was up for a, a role with the Steppenwolf theater that was going to go to Broadway with Gary Sinise. And when I, when I had my callback for that, which went extremely well for this play called uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Uh, the film was made famous by Jack Nicholson and uh, Louise Fletcher was in that who passed recently. Um, I, uh, I walked out and I went down to the elevator and there was John Malkovich in the elevator as the doors were closing. And I was like, oh man, this is like a dream come true. I'm 20 years old and, or maybe 21 at that point. And I'm like up for this big role with the Steppenwolf Theater. And, and it was pretty much down to me and one other guy. Well, as it turns out, the other guy got it. And we were both at the same acting school uh, at the time in Evanston, Illinois, the Piven Theater Workshop. Burn Piven, Jeremy Piven's dad was my mentor at the time. And he's the one who told me that I didn't get that part because he knew the casting director. And he says, well, he says, I guess you didn't get that part. They gave it to Eric. And I remember feeling my heart hit the floor and I, I thought, that's it. I'm going back to Los Angeles. And so I went back to L.A. and uh, and I just I just went for it, man. And uh, and eventually after living in a 
pretty much out of my car for nearly two years. I had a roof over my head at night because a friend had a business and she let me sleep there at night um, in West Hollywood. And then I'd have to leave before the day, the business day started the next day. Uh, but all my stuff was in my car for nearly two years. I was doing a stand-up comedy at the comedy store and uh, just praying for some kind of a break. And an agent ended up seeing me um, and brought me in. And then very shortly after, I was up for a big part on a sitcom for the WB and didn't end up getting that part, but just testing for the studio at that, you know, going that far in the process really opened up doors for me. And, uh, and then after that, some more doors started opening, but I guess my, my, uh, thought process is rather nonlinear. Sorry about that, but That's all right. I get, I guess really the thing is that, is that, um, you know, every, I'll say this, every setback or seeming setback, even those things, if not more than apparent little breakthroughs, those seeming setbacks in a way provided a kind of fuel for a fire, a fire that was to come or a momentum uh, that I couldn't necessarily recognize at the time. But I realized that even, you know, not getting a part or getting so close, but no cigar sort of motivated me. It was like coal in my engine. It was fuel for the fire for me to just keep going and, you know, keep digging deeper and believing um, well, that I wasn't, you know, doing this for nothing. You know? Well, yeah, because, you know, a lot of people, especially in this day and age, would just give up and then, yeah. you know, go go to Starbucks and get a job. But. You know, sometimes, you know, you got to take the take a lot of notes and a lot of people don't understand this. And you know this when it comes to acting actors where it's the audition process, you're going to get more no's than you're going to get a yes. So you end up with a thick skin over time. And a lot of people need to understand that in the in just in normal daily life. You know, no is not the end. You know, if you want to understand what a no means go be an actor. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That, you sound like you definitely know what you're talking about because uh, that is exactly how it is. And you need to learn uh, to that point. You need to learn that it's not personal. I mean, I would very rarely is it personal. If you're a jerk, you know, or you're just not prepared, then I guess it's kind of personal, perhaps. But, but that even falls then, on the person. Well, that's right. And that's where personal accountability and just being responsible and doing the basic things like being on time and treating people the right way being prepared uh, goes a long way. I think if you have some talent and you have the faith and and the, well, I'll say this too. Mark Harmon actually said to me, he said, what you need is ethic. He goes, you've got to have the ethic. And of course he was referring to just plain old work ethic. Um, and just that sort of that diligence. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, really the diligence was just continuing to swing the ax and to trust that even though it didn't look like that tree was coming down anytime soon, that every time I swung that axe and hit that trunk, like I was a little bit closer to to where I was ultimately headed and just holding on to that vision and that belief that I was going to get there as long as I didn't quit. And I knew I had options and opportunities to quit. And I think that would have been OK, perhaps, but it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. I, I that's I, this is just not my style to to start something and then not finish it like that. So well, talk about swinging the axe. How did you land the role in Three Pines? Well, Three Pines was funny because uh, I had been in you know Los Angeles for such a long time. I ended up coming back to my hometown, which, by the way, is Montreal, Canada, 
which is where I was born and raised. And, um, and I came back here because, uh, I had taken a year off from the business the year before. And I was like, what do I do next? You know, where do I go? And I talked to my mom on the phone one day and she said, you know, we're looking forward to seeing you for a visit. And I said, yeah. And I just envisioned and imagined myself saying goodbye to my, my parents who were getting a little up in age at that point. And my dad was having health issues and I just couldn't get my head around the thought of saying goodbye to them after a two or three week visit and then not seeing them again for another year. Having been gone for so long, you know, at this point I was in my later 30, mid to late 30s. And so I came back up to Montreal and relatively quickly, you know, I got a good agent and and stuff started opening up for me. Then I was back and forth between L.A. and Montreal for a bit. But then right before the pandemic, I I was in Los Angeles and I was down the street from my place down there. My roommate said, let's go into the Little Brown Church here in Studio City. It's where Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan got married. And, and let's say a prayer. And I, I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. I was in a sort of confused place at the time. My girlfriend and I, uh, were, were broken up at the time and I wasn't, nothing was really moving in LA for me at the time. So I put my little prayer down on a paper and then put it in the prayer request box and said my prayer, just basically looking for direction. And then within a week I had an agent, a, a new agent in Canada. And within a few days after that, I had an offer on a TV show that I didn't even audition for. And I thought to myself, well, this is this is the answer. I need to go back to Canada. So I went back, did that show, did another show. Then the pandemic hit. 2020 was a slow year. 2021 comes around, proving to be a pretty good year. I got married at the beginning of 2021, too. And then I was about to start a movie in the summer. I had auditioned for Three Pines. I put a tape down. I was about to start a movie in the summer and I, my phone rings it's my agent as i'm in the hair and makeup chair and they're about to cut my hair and he goes don't cut your hair three pines likes you and they love your look so don't cut your hair i go you got to be kidding me i'm literally in the hair and makeup chair right now about to get a haircut and he's like just wait just wait so i talked to the producers of the movie they were like okay we'll we'll meet you in the middle and you can kind of just take a little bit off clean it up but you won't have to cut the whole thing off as it turns out uh three pines um got back to me and I uh, and 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 said that they were interested in me for a different role now, so I was like, oh, okay. I li I like the role of Peter Morrow, which is what they originally asked me to, to audition for. So I read for that other role on Zoom, didn't hear anything for a week or two. Then they get back again and say they're interested in me for Peter Morrow again. So of course, this whole time I haven't cut my hair, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I did I did a Zoom uh, chemistry read, insofar as you can gauge chemistry over Zoom with Anna Tierney, who's just lovely and plays my uh, wife in the show. Uh, so I had to keep my eyeline straight for Zoom, so I couldn't really look at her during the read. And we did that, and that was on a Thursday. And uh, didn't hear anything rest of the day, didn't hear anything Friday, didn't hear anything over the weekend, didn't hear anything Monday. And I thought, well, it was a good experience, uh, but this puppy's probably dead in the water at this point because it's been, it's been a while and oh well. Then Tuesday afternoon, just after lunch, I got a call from my agent and he goes, hi, I said, hey, what's up, man? And he goes, can I speak to Mr. Peter Morrow, please? And I said, what? I said, really? <laughs> I said, let me let me go get him. Hang on. And uh, so that was how that happened. And um, man, I was just super stoked because uh, I thought it was probably, you know, I was sort of just trying to deal with the disappointment at that at that point. Well, um, I, I would yeah. I would say this, Julian. Uh, and for the for the rest of you who are watching out there, say your prayers because you may never know what's going to happen. So put your totally. faith in there and stick with it. 
Absolutely, man. It's like uh, it's like Chris Pratt said at the uh, at that awards show. You know, he said prayers, prayer works. God is real, and I'm like, absolutely. There's Amen. no question about it, man. I've experienced it in my own life, like time and time again. Ah, uh, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you there. Now, were you familiar with Louise uh, Penny's novels before joining the show? Oh, well, before joining the show, I was just only because it was in the breakdown. But as far as when I first heard about the, the show, uh, I was not. Um, but what's funny is my brother-in-law is actually from the same town where she lives, which apparently is the town that Three Pines, the fictional town, is based on. Um, and yeah, so so that was kind of interesting. And it's a town that we, where my sister, in fact, got married because, you know, he, he was from there and there's this church in the in the middle of the town where my sister was married. So I'm quite actually familiar with with that little town. It's in um, southeastern Quebec in the eastern townships is, the, is what the area is called. Um, and the town itself is called Knowlton. And I'm pretty sure that Three Pines is based on Knowlton, at least at least loosely. I don't know if Louise would would back me up on that, but that's kind of what I heard. Don't quote me on it. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I but, noticed, uh, yeah. well, I, I noticed, Julian, that in and, and I've seen all eight episodes of Three Pines, uh, I've talked to Sarah and Anna, and I'm kind of like waiting, and, I'm, and you're probably waiting too for the news. Will there be a season two, which there needs to be? But it's funny because your character was so silent in the first episode, in the first four episodes, until the whole family thing came about in episodes, I think, five and six, yeah. and uh, where you really got to do your thing what was yeah. it like in those first filming those first four episodes because you were very you were quiet you were mysterious yeah. viewers couldn't really figure you out because there was a totally. mystery there yeah that's that's well put the first four episodes well of course i appeared briefly in one i barely appeared all in two and then in three and four i'm a suspect of course because i i'm found running through the forest and you know three ends with me with my hands up at the edge of a bluff um and then i'm interrogated in four and of course they find out oh maybe i shouldn't say all this oh, it's been out a while it's been out a while so oh my that's bad okay. sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh man i'm sorry um if you have to cut that part out go ahead hey, um, that's right. but see i have seen all eight so i know <laughs> <laughs> oh man i've been doing so good so far with this interviews man i've been like managing not to give away any spoilers oh shoot um well, no, say, say, that that's probably where my gift comes in to where you know i i should be doing interviews with uh i guess serial killers so i can make them confess <laughs> totally oh man no but please feel free to cut that out if you need to um uh, but no, yes, you're right. You're right. Uh, it's sort of this like slow burn lead in as far as learning about my character until episode five um, and six, where we get to see really uh, some of the reasons why he is the way that he is. And I think um, it's important. Well, it was important for me as an actor not to judge the character at the outset, because it's very easy to to see some performance on screen and to judge the character or um, you know, just say, oh, that guy's a jerk or whatever. But People are the way they are, you know, by and large for a reason. Um, and so I think in five and six, we get to see the reasons why uh, Peter is the way that he is. And um, and no, I appreciate you bringing that up because it, it's true, you know, that those family dynamics and um, they're so important. And I said to someone recently that, you know, you can 
run away to the country and try to start your own life. But if those internal, you know, demons haven't been dealt with, um, they'll follow you out to the country, you know, and, uh, and they'll sprout up and sort of manifest themselves in different ways. Um, and I think that's the thing we kind of get a, an, a peek in to why he is the way that he is when we see his mother, when we hear about how his father was, when we, we see those dynamics between he and his siblings. Um, so it's really important in understanding the, the, the sort of machinations, if that's the word, <laughs> machinations, machinations, the mechanics, emotionally, the dynamics of this character. Well, he's, um, you know, yeah. he's, um, he's more than just quiet. He is mysterious. He's troubled. Yeah. Um, but then you have the, your other half, Clara Morrow, Anna Tierney, who seems to be a little bit more open, slightly more outgoing, but she has a husband that is showing signs of being distant and, and in a way looking very guilty. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And I mean, the guy has a guilty conscience, you know, for, for more than, more than a couple of reasons. Um, and in that sense, he's, he's somewhat tormented. And, um, you know, something I've been saying about the show in general is they deal with a lot of human issues, really human issues. And I think a lot of people can relate with whether or not they can specifically relate with, you know, coming from privilege like this guy does, or, you know, I should say privilege in quotations, because how much of a privilege is it to come from a family like he comes from, you know, in reality, you can have all the money and all the external trappings and the materialist, the material things. But if you don't have peace on the inside of you, man, it's, 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 uh, it's depravity and, and true poverty. So, um, so that's the thing, man, that's a human, that's the human condition. I think we're all, we're all kind of broken in a sense and, and need to find that, well, we're all seeking that wholeness. We're all seeking that place of uh, finding home, I think, you know, within ourselves. And that's why people get into all the things that they do and, and run off to, to seek that solace wherever they may find it. And, um, well, and I think a lot of people relate to the three pine series. Yeah. And, and I've said this before about the series, you have, multiple storylines. So mm -hmm. with every two episodes, there's a major storyline, but then you have the storyline of Alfred Molina's character. Right. You have other sub storylines with other characters. But what I loved about this being one of the best whodunits I've ever seen filmed is that the viewer never knows who actually did it till the very end there's not e i mean even the way that it was written and directed there's not even a hint as to who could be the guilty one because if you start guessing you're probably going to get it wrong <laughs> yeah and that's what makes this yeah. series so wonderful to watch which is oh, why yeah. i want to see season two <laughs> yeah i i concur i am in agreement with that yeah absolutely i agree with you man that that is uh that is a good way to put it um what I find too about it is that they really sort of draw you into the scenery and, and the, the characters and just the feel of this place that it's easy to kind of just get lost in that. And, and then we sort of forget, Oh wait, that, you know, there's been this crime that they're trying to, they're trying to solve. And there is, there is someone who's responsible for it. You know, there is a guilty party, but hopefully people are sort of 
getting attached to the characters in the process while at the same time realizing these characters that they're getting attached to may in fact be guilty in some way shape or form and um well what was what i thought was a brilliant uh scene and i and i believe that it was in episode one I, i believe it was episode one um where alfred molina's character comes out and all the major characters are grouped together and he's standing right in front of them. He says something to him and the camera just pans and everybody looks guilty, you know, either from worry, like, Oh, they're going to pin this on me because I was kind of there and, but I didn't do it. And that's what made it so, so wonderful. But for you, uh, what have you learned by being around Alfred Molina? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, well, about the man himself, I've learned that he is utterly grounded and humble as a person. Um, he's kind, he's sincere, he's not all Hollywood, um, and he's a tremendous leader. He is a professional. He sets the tone on the set. Uh, I've learned that you know if you're going to lead a show or a film, you have a responsibility to to do that to set the bar hopefully at a high level and he does that in spades um i'll just tell you this real quick we were in the forest shooting a scene one night and the cast was standing around including alfred and the crew was standing around as well and everybody was working and and the uh second ad or someone came over to alfred and said oh alfred alfred i'm so sorry we'll get you a chair we'll get you a chair please uh, bring that chair over here put that chair down for alfred to sit please alfred please sit sit on the chair and he says no no he says no he says we're all working here we're all working we're all on our feet we're all working and uh and then he he turned to me and he said bad optics in other words of course if he sits down Everybody sees him sitting down. They would understand because he's Alfred Molina and he's working as an actor and he's got to, you know, he's got to have energy to perform and and carry the show. But he has that level of uh, awareness um, and consideration to uh, to to make a call like that. So, yeah, yeah, he's just dignity. You know, he's he's a lot of dignity and professionalism are two of the things I learned from Alfred Molina. And it's and he brings that into his character in three pines his story or his underlying story is something to watch and it's something to to learn from as us as being human beings to see that character that we can take things of what he is portraying on film because Mm. that's how we should be sure there is a troubled past there's Mm. some trauma there but the way that he carries him, the way he carries himself, carries the character before mm. others and the things he says to others, and just what you explain, he looks at himself as being, we're all equal here. No one is above anybody else. Right. And he brings that to that character, which, which is probably why he's one of my favorite characters in Three Pines, because there is something there that we can all learn from. That's right. That's right. And, and I agree with you. And, um, yeah, he, he does that. And uh, it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to work with someone like that, just to know someone like that, be around somebody who conducts themselves that way. Um, because uh, 
I don't want to say they're they're few and far between because that's probably not true. I think there are a lot of people out there who who know how to <laughs> who know how to behave, uh, uh, you know, in in a really upstanding way. But it just feels like you know, and of course, being in the industry for a long time as I have been, you know, you you do see certain things, and the way Hollywood is portrayed out there uh, in the media is uh, is unfortunate to a certain degree because there's so many good people in the yeah, industry. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Now, what what would be your dream role? Hmm, my dream role. Well, you know, I would love to. Well, first of all, I would I would love to be to to have the opportunity to to carry a show or a film. I would love to have the opportunity to be a be a you know a real lead, a number one or two. Um, on a on a big show um playing somebody maybe who's sure conflicted and has their struggles but is is consistently fighting to do the right thing um i was going to say maybe some kind of a comedy action thing but with like a strong powerful message coming out of it some kind of a redemptive message maybe i think about denzel washington because i love denzel and i love the characters that he plays as sort of um you know, sacrificing himself for the for the benefit of others. I think there's, that's such a powerful theme. So maybe it something is. along those lines. Yeah, and, and people can relate to that. And, it, and not only that, you see the struggle through a storyline, but then in the end, there's triumph, there's victory, but there's a lesson. And, and I think that's those right. types of movies still uh, resonate today. I mean, that's what we want to see. We want to see stuff that is entertaining, but at the same time kind of leaves us feeling good. Yeah, right. Leaves us feeling good. And I think that payoff of feeling good can really hit the hardest when we've been taken on a journey, you know, when it looks like it's not going to work out, when it looks like it might not happen. And, and there's this thing about, you know, well, you know, just faith and perseverance and a, a kind of human tenacity um, that I think is inspirational for good reason i think it's something that we need we need to have something to fight for i was saying something to the other uh, to someone the other day about you know the way so many people seem to be raising kids nowadays i have i have two kids and they they're trying to keep them safe and keep them protected and keep them from you know being offended or being hurt and i'm like man that's not preparing them for the real world you know we need to learn how to uh move and and be successful and be who 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 we really truly are in the face of adversity and overcome and learn to overcome, you know, we're all going to fall, but the question is, are we going to get up and how quickly do we get up or do we sit there and lick our wounds? You know? So well, I think yeah. there's so many important stories to be told. There is. That's, that's one of the, my, my favorite things is to see stories from not, not only just in movies, but in real life is to see the stories of adversity to victory. Oh, and totally. because it's a, it's a teaching lesson for all of us, even though somebody, you know, it's kind of like your test becomes your testimony. Absolutely. And we need Absolutely. to have more of those stories come out. So people who are watching, even though we're watching a movie to be entertained, in a way it's inspiring us. It's motivating us to realize I can make it in this world. And you're right about kids today too. Look, if you get knocked down, they got to learn how to pick themselves up sometimes on their own. 
and uh, go outside and get dirty. I mean, this world is a is becoming a very weird place to live, but we can't be protecting them because, like you said, we are actually creating a weaker individual by doing that. It's exactly it's the whole baby eagle trying to break out of the egg, you know. If if you crack that egg for that eagle, kind of like with the uh, the scene with with Ruth and the the egg in the uh, in the oven. I don't know if you remember that, but yes, I anyway, do. That, that's that's it. That's it. That that thing needs to get that strength on its on its own. So yeah. So what's next for Julian Bailey? Man, uh, well, hopefully season two. <laughs> um, we'll see about that. But it, um, other than that, we're just uh, you know. Just writing. I'm working on a couple of scripts right now. Um, anything else that's going on? I'm not really allowed to say because of NDAs, you know. But um, I got you. But yeah, and then I do a lot of voice work too, and I enjoy doing that. And I uh, got a nine-month-old son and a nine-year-old daughter, so I'm I'm enjoying and appreciating, you know, just uh, family life right now. So that's what I'm doing. Well, where can all of my viewers and listeners find out more about you? Okay, on Instagram, I am Julian Bailey. I A M Julian Bailey. Uh, Twitter, I just kind of started, so I don't have very many followers on there. But Instagram would be the main place, both the same handles. And that would be about it. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Julian Bailey plays Peter Morrow in the Smash Hit series on Prime Video Three Pines. If you have not checked out this series, you're missing it. You, you are missing life if you haven't seen Three Pines yet. Uh, I'm a big fan. I've seen all eight episodes. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, if you like whodunits and you like mysteries, this is the series you got to start binge watching right now. It's available on Amazon Prime. So guess what? You got something to do tonight. You can start watching Three Pines and, and get into it. Like the millions of people around the world have created this series as a smash it. And I've heard, Julian, through the grapevine that there is news coming about mm. season two, so we mm. will keep our fingers crossed and the prayers going up that Amen. it's going to happen because the way see, the way episode eight ended, yeah, I see there's an open door there. And yeah. uh, but again, Julian, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I agree, brother, and thank you. It's uh, totally my my honor and pleasure. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Julian. And again, everyone, check out Three Pines on Amazon Prime Video. It's available right now. Don't wait. You've got to catch it. If you love, again, if you love whodunits and mysteries, and as for me, stay tuned because there's no mystery here. I'll be right back after this. <laughs> 